will be in Matthew chapter 6, just looking at, we're going to read one verse publicly as we stand, and then we'll give, go into the rest of the passage. Matthew 6, and before I tell you the verse, just going to say this right up front, do not look at this verse and say, oh, yeah, that's a classic verse. I know, and, and don't, don't be like, I know what he's going to say, and tune me out. Uh, the, the good thing about the Bible is it's living, right? It's a living word of God, right? So that, that's why I, I've been reading this book for 15, 16 years, and I still get things out of it that I've read for n- numbers of times, and I'm like, I never saw that. I know, because it's alive. So we never should come to the Bible and look at a familiar passage and just say, I know what's going to happen. I know what God could say, because that's how God works. And so Matthew 6, just verse 33 It says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Thank you. may be seated this morning. You know, there are are certain things in life where if you don't get to do them, you don't get to experience them, you you don't figure that out, that your life will be okay. I'm sure many of you have already realized that. Like, if you never learn the right of skateboard... It's okay, you know. It's all right. You know, it doesn't stop you from getting married to somebody. It it's not like oh, I would have if you could ride a skateboard. Um, you know, if you never learned to throw a changeup pitch, you know, I did baseball for a while. I got the curveball down. Fastball was too dangerous. I'd probably kill somebody. Got the curveball down, but the changeup pitch was always like it would just never make it. I'm like, how do you do that? And I even had one of those magic balls that had the seven different color codes on there. Ever do that? Yeah, it didn't help me at all. Uh, they didn't have YouTube back then. That's why I never mastered the change-up pitch. You know, I would have if I had it. You know, and it's a, if, if you never learn to master like a Rubik's Cube, I don't know anybody who has except for people on YouTube that you've watched the video on it, right? And it just, you don't just know internally, oh, this is the algorithm you follow. No, it's, but you know what? It, it hasn't stopped your life from going forward. Life's okay. But there are certain things in life where if you don't get them right, it will permanently alter the direction of your life. And it will permanently alter the quality of your life. And whereas there was a plan for your life that was, well, Jesus did say he came to give us life abundant, right? And you'd have joy that would be overflowing. That that is his plan for you, but why don't we experience it? Well, I think sometimes that we miss this, and so we alter the course that we would have been on for our life. And I really believe that Matthew 6.33 is one of those areas that Jesus brings up, a very important principle and it's one that I am going to get ready to go to a country where they've abused this principle. The Pentecostal movement has abused this principle. See, God will give you a BMW. Oh, yeah, of course, I'll do that. Yeah, they've abused this principle, and, and many misunderstand the implications of this. And so I want to get into this and kind of bring that out to you. And so, if you, again, the idea in verse 33 is seek first, ye first the kingdom of God. Now, when I would think of that phrase, seek ye first the kingdom of God, I would usually think of it in a, a church context, inside of the church, and, and that's definitely an aspect, absolutely, and we're gonna, I'm going to apply that later on, but when you look at all that Jesus has said around this, you find that that's too small of a view. Uh, the kingdom of God is not only just if you come to church on Sunday. You're not seeking the kingdom of God if you just come to a church outreach effort. No, it's actually much more than that. And so in this section, Jesus is going to bring up, if you're familiar with it, some of the most necessary and essential areas of life, like food and like water 
and clothing, uh, your life itself. And he makes very strong statements about these things, very strong statements about them. And it's important that you understand the, just the context here that when Jesus spoke these things, take no thought for your food or what you're going to drink. When he said that, he was telling that to a group of people at a time where most of humanity literally lived off of what they were bringing in weekly. Like that was what they were bringing in. So if you wanted food, well, yeah, go raise it. Go cultivate that food. You're not just going to go to Walmart and get it. It's not going to happen. Dollar General, not going to happen. It, go and cultivate that food. It, 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 maybe you could get it in a marketplace. Maybe if it was one nearby. And, and the water was hit and miss because you were in a semi-arid climate. And that's why wells were so important to them. And there was a fighting over that in the scripture. This was a pre-industrialized society. Many of the people even got uh, to the point to where they were paid with food for their work. How am I going to eat tonight? I'm going to go build that for a minute. I'll get to have dinner tonight. That's pretty rough. Like, we don't, we don't understand that as Americans. Even the poorest of us, we just wait for the government to send us something. Right? You don't have to worry about that. And you even hear this expressed in Jesus' prayer. Right? And he says, give us this day our daily bread. Why? That was an understanding that they would have, that I need God to give me this today because it's just what's going to happen. I'm not, I'm not going to be able to store this up. And yet, when you look at this passage, as we're going to, you're going to see that Christ is telling the, these very people to not seek those things. To not seek those things. And as a matter of fact, he goes even farther. He tells them that if they do seek these things, that they would be as if they were a Gentile. So what does that mean? Okay, if, what if I come to you and say, you're a terrible, wicked, atheistic person. And I just started insulting you about that you don't love God. You don't even follow God. That would be like, what are you talking about? That's what they would feel like. It's, to identify as a Gentile would be, have been one without God. One who was a pagan to them, who, who was without understanding. That would have been serving false gods. That didn't have a father in heaven who would provide for them. That they would, Jesus is saying, if you seek these things like this, then you're no different than a lost person. You're, you're no different than a Gentile. And I'm telling you that that would have shocked them to be compared to that because they were already following him. They had already left their stuff. And so this food and clothing that Jesus brings up that's so essential, we would say, how could they not naturally seek that? That's what they're getting by with every single day. Now, what Jesus does in this section is he, what he does is he goes right back to the idea that he gives in verses 19 and 24. If you, if you know what that's saying, he's, he's talking about the fact that we should not lay up treasures upon earth. Moth and rust is there. It's going to take it out. But lay them up in heaven. And he talks about the fact that we, no man can serve two masters. So he lays out this very clear principle, and then when he gets into this section here, he's repeating this same concept, because he says, therefore, therefore, okay, because of the reality that I want you to lay up everything for heaven and not here, and you can't serve two people, because of that, don't take thought for what you're going to eat. Don't take thought for that. And so what he's doing is he's going to give teeth to his principle, he's going to say, okay, that's the principle. Let me see what that looks like. Food, clothing, that shouldn't be your focus. 
It's like, wow, how, how can that be? Now, before we go further, because some people are like, man, you're, you're, are you just saying you can just live willy-nilly, just live however, just don't even worry about it? Well, Jesus is not against a, a thought-out life. And he's the one who said, what man would go and build a tower and then wouldn't count the cost if he has sufficient to build? So Jesus isn't against a thought-out life. Jesus is against a wrongly focused life. And, and what a wrongly focused life not only leads you to, but keeps you from. And that's important that we understand that. Because in the 28 chapters of Matthew, there are only seven instances where Jesus brings up this idea, or Matthew brings up the idea of worry, and six of those seven times is just here in this chapter, in this part of the chapter, not even the first part. Six of the seven times, so do you think it's a, it's a big deal? Absolutely. And Jesus says this not to worry by the idea of take no thought. Now, what he does is he, he's going to base his entire argument around three examples. And you'll see the first one in verse 26. Look at it with me. Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into barns. So this is his argument. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they. Now, I think this is, this is amazing because when you go through the scripture and having five, five kids, we're in Proverbs quite a bit for dealing with strife and all kinds of other things. When you're looking at Proverbs, there's so many different animals or insects that God, it's as if God puts them on, on a pedestal for us to learn from. Like if you're a sluggard, then go to the ant, right? If you're bad at leadership, look at, look at the locusts. That they don't have a leader, but they travel in bands and they accomplish missions and the coney and how they, they're industrious and they prepare. And God has these different animals that he tells us, listen, if you're having a problem, then go look at that and learn and imitate that principle. But I, I, I haven't really seen a lot about birds in the scripture about that we could learn from them because birds really aren't that way because birds, he tells us, they don't, gather for the future, right? They don't make provision for the future, yet every day they eat. Birds aren't consumed with worry. There's no anxiety. They're not dropping dead from anxiety in their lives. They're not getting ulcers in their stomach. They're, they're not attempting to pile up goods. You don't see a bird flying around with a little briefcase preparing for whatever, the winter, or because there's a drought coming, and he's like, I know, I got to get ready for that. No, they're not doing that. Because they're not worried about unforeseen future events. They're not even thinking about that. But they migrate. I, God, God put it in them to migrate. Like that's not, they're not planning that out. They just do that. And it's really important, though, uh, that we don't take that the wrong way and say, well, um, you know, I don't have to worry about that. And, and, and be lazy. I can be lazy. I don't have, it's not an excuse for laziness. The Bible says be good stewards and to seek the kingdom of God. And, and if you don't work, you shouldn't eat. That's a principle. And I, I believe... What would revolutionize our society is if people that didn't work didn't eat. That'd make them want to work. Yeah, that's right. But instead, we just keep funneling them stuff. Look, it's a principle in the scripture. If you're seeking the kingdom of God, I believe that you'll be a hard worker. I think that a Christian should be one of the hardest workers at their place because whatever, whatsoever your hand finds to do, do it with all thy might. And whatsoever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Do it heartily. Those are, scripture, those are exhortations to us. But birds, yeah, birds prepare. Birds don't sit on a branch all day. They go get food. They build their nest. They care for their young. They teach them to fly and all those things. But, but they aren't focused on that, right? They're not focused on that. 
And the point that Jesus is making really simply in this is, look, if the birds who, who, who can't plan ahead and don't plan ahead, if they have no reason to worry, then, then why do you? Then why do you, who are my creation, who have been given reason and given ability to plan for the future wisely, why are you filled with thoughts of fear and anxiety if you have a Father in heaven who cares for you? Why would you do that? And then he goes on to this second issue in, in verse 27. Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And, uh, you know, uh, when you're looking at this, there's some back and forth as to what he's re- referencing when he says uh, taking thought on your stature. I used, to, I used to think that it meant, can I make myself taller? And, and, uh, and frankly, whether you take that or what I'm going to tell you, it really doesn't change anything in here. But I think what fits this really good the idea of taking one thought to your stature can also refer to adding on to your life, increasing your lifespan. Can you add on to your life by worry? Can you do that by thinking about it? Now, we, we would know better, wouldn't we? Because we have seen so many studies and so many cases where because of worry, people decrease their lifespan. That people actually make things worse in their life by worry. That they, that they physiologically mess up their body. And, you know, and I don't think that that's an accident. I think God designed our bodies so that if we were to be in that state, it's an indicator we shouldn't be there, that we're getting hurt. I mean, because God could have made it to where if we were, we would get better. But he didn't do that. He didn't design us physiologically that way. This is how we're designed. And so if you're worrying about your health, is it going to change anything if you're worrying about it? And doesn't that really strike at so much of our society's preoccupation? I mean, especially now, um, you know, you got all the stuff going on. You got, then you got outside of that, you had before this, you had exercise equipment and health club memberships and medical assistance and vitamins and all these diets. And, and health is the goal, right, of America. Like health is the goal. And we are a generation of people that are almost occultic about health. Uh, that we have all these fan bases, we have all this stuff going on, and we're so consumed about that. I mean, what's driving that is the anxiety of death. It's the anxiety of disease. It's the fear of illness and that's so pervasive. But this is the, what he's wanting to understand. And your lifespan, no less than your food, is a gift from God. It is one. And so worrying about it isn't going to change anything. Then he goes on to his last example, in verse 20, he says, why take ye thought for Raymond? Now, what's his argument? Well, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. Now, if you have, are looking at that logically, that should amaze you more than the other ones. That really should because birds are at least active, right? They, they do. They'll sit up there and they'll go seek out food and all those things. Again, they're not worried about it, but they'll do something about it. But what do flowers do? They just sit there. You know, they're, they're just there. And they don't do anything to change locations. And, and what catches the humanity's attention with flowers is not just that there are billions upon billions of them around and such variety. It's the fact of their magnificence. Now think about this. The flower is beyond the best that any human art can achieve. It is. If you don't believe me, then, then go and look at some plastic flowers. Put them next to a real one. You know what? Let's put the ante up. Go get some silk flowers and see if you get any closer. You're not going to because man, with all his ingenuity, we can make 3D printers and make guns in them. We can't make a flower look real. 
We can't do that. Uh, Even the greatest, because there's a quality and a beauty and a texture and a form and a substance to the flower that man can't get close to matching. And yet they die so quickly. Uh, Kids trample them, right? You know, I'd have a garden and my kids would go in there. I'm like, you just killed all of that. I, I spent months trying to get that to work and it's all dead. And it's like, man, God, you didn't care about my tomato plant. No, it's... It comes and goes. It it comes and goes. Yet God still lavishes so much attention to detail on the flower, doesn't he? And this is what Jesus is trying to get you to realize. He's arguing from a lesser to greater position. He's saying, listen, if God creates with such extravagance and such loving care and detail something that is so soon destined to destruction and to die... Don't you think that his care for his higher creation would be greater than that? Don't you think that? Now, you might be thinking, uh, and this is something I had to wrestle with as I was reading through this. My mind, this is how I think, my mind went to, wait a second, though. What about all the, the birds that die every year, though? I don't, you know, there, there's large numbers of birds that die in the world, and some of them because they couldn't get the food. And, 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 and what about the experience of many Christians throughout history who have suffered and were deprived of food and, and died and they starved? And, and, and what about the fact that right now they say, you know, as far as they can tell, that over 50% of, the, of Christian, Christians live in the two-thirds part of the world where they can't get uh, even above poverty level and that some of them do suffer from lack of having their needs provided for and having these things they can't obtain the food and some of them die through famine you're sitting to sit here and tell me that God provides all these things and it's just that simple and you can go through life carefree and don't take thought about it because what about all these other examples where God isn't providing well I think this is where this passage has been misunderstood when people approach it the Pentecostals and and and, and no less others that we look at this and say well what what is he inferring when he says all things And the best that I could understand is much like Philippians 4 talks about, where he says, I can do all things through Christ's strength of me. Like, I'm going to have all these things. God will provide these things for you. My God should supply all your needs through Christ Jesus. What do you mean all your needs? Well, I don't think that when you're looking at this, this is not referring to everything you need just for need itself, but rather that this is talking about everything you need to glorify God. That's what you're going to have. And this is a reality that God calls on some people to glorify him by death. Is that not true? I mean, look at our Savior. He glorified him to do that. And we could say, well, God didn't provide for Christ because he could have taken him off the cross. You're missing the plan, right? It wasn't in God's plan for that to happen. And so it didn't. So God didn't provide for that because it wasn't part of the plan. Christ was seeking the kingdom and he glorified God in doing that. And so I look at this and I come like this. Listen, I don't want to live any longer than God wants me to live. I don't want to live any shorter than God wants me to live. You know what? I want to live exactly as long as he wants me to live. And if I keep that mindset, how could I worry about anything? Well, what am I going to worry about? If I'm, if I'm gone, I'm gone. And you know what? I could make that shorter by worrying. Yeah, I could worry and fret and get sick and get myself all messed up. There's a great story of J.C. Penney, the founder, uh, uh, the guy that founded J.C. Penney. He went through this. You can look that up yourself. I'm not going to go into it. But this is the thing. Worry messes us up. 
It's not going to change anything for this. And the reality that Jesus is saying is if God has given us the gift of life and has called us to serve him, then he's going to give you all the things that are necessary to fulfill that calling, whatever it would be. And that's why he repeats this again after he gets done explaining it. Verse 31, therefore, so you understand these examples? Okay, here's what I want you to get. Again, 31, therefore, take no thought. What are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to clothe with? No, no, don't do that. Well, what would that reveal about me? Um, that you're living like a Gentile? That you're living as if you didn't have a father in heaven? That it would reveal this? Listen, those without Christ, you know what? They were, they were entirely consumed by all of these things. Because that's all they have, isn't it? They have one shot at this. They have one life. They, and, and it's only going to be as good as they make it. That's their resources. It's completely up to them, isn't it? But then you have God's people. We're in direct contrast to them who have a father. And so we are to be characterized by faith. And that's why he points out in the end of verse 30, O ye of little what? Faith. This is the issue. If we struggle with this concept of worry, it is a faith issue. It is a faith issue that we don't understand our Father in heaven. We don't understand how he works. We don't understand that if we go through hard times, that's okay. He's an address at the end of the chapter, by the way. It's okay. And this is, listen, what makes worry such a big deal is that it attacks the very nature and character of God, doesn't it? It absolutely does. Worry is not a small sin. Listen, it's not a small sin. It's a sin that kills you if you, if you engage in it. It's not a small thing to God because it is telling the world, I can't trust him. He's not good enough. Every good gift doesn't come from him. I can't go to him. And that's why he identifies those that do seek those things as a Gentile. And the only antidote that Jesus gives us for finding ourselves in this way in our spirit and thinking is verse 33, where he says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God. That, that's your answer. Oh, I'm just a worry. I'm a, I'm a person of worry. I know. Here's what you do. Seek the kingdom of God. Solve that problem right there. In other words, if you put the proper attention on my kingdom, then I will make sure that the proper attention is put on your life. And you can take that to the bank by faith, by the way. And the, here's the truth of all this as, we, as I begin to try to apply it to us today, that because you have less fear to secure your daily bread, because we have less fear of living from the day-to-day -day grind, because we have less imminent fear, you should be even more liberated to serve the kingdom of God. So you be more liberated for that. Because, listen, while their daily concerns were whether they would have dinner that night, and they were out in the fields or out on the lake or out wherever for hours and hours toiling and trying to catch something and trying to get something to come in, and that was what they ate that night while that was their concern, so many of us as Western Christians' concern is this on a day-to-day -day basis. Oh, this week, what, what hobby do I want to do? What show am I going to watch tonight? Hey, hon, is, is it 7 o'clock on Tuesday that comes on or 8 o'clock? You know, that, that's, that's kind of where our lives uh, can end up. What do I want to watch tonight? What do I want to do with my week this week? But, 
But, but listen, isn't your life more than that? Right? Isn't your life more than binge watching a show? Isn't our life more than a hobby? Isn't our life more than a title at work? Isn't our life more than just getting up and going to work and coming home and going to bed and then getting up and going to work and coming home? Isn't our life more than that kind of a mundane cycle? Isn't it more than all of these things? Absolutely it is. Because that's how the lower creation of God lives. They live in these mundane cycles. But did God make you in his image for a purpose? Did God make you in his image to be an image bearer of God so that we could live in worry? So that we could live for all these things? Those, those things just keep our life going. That is not what our life's supposed to be about. We don't live for those things. No, 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 no. God made us for a greater purpose. He made his greater creation for a greater purpose. What's the purpose that my life is supposed to have? Your purpose is to seek the kingdom of God. When? First. Not second. And not third. And listen, this isn't about you getting involved, involved more in church ministries necessarily, though that is definitely there. That, that's too small, remember? Yeah, you do need to get involved in church ministries if you're not. But it's greater than that. It's more than that. And this isn't God will make your finances better if you give. No, it's even greater than that. Listen, here's what, what Jesus is communicating. If you seek my kingdom first, then you don't even have to worry about things. That's amazing. Because what does that do for us? That frees you up to throw everything you have into the, to the kingdom of God, doesn't it? Absolutely does. Instead of sitting there and toiling and fretting and sitting up and, and having ulcers, we can be having a time of prayer. We can be having a time of ministering to another believer instead of living in, the, in, in, in these systems that the world has put up. We're, we're, listen, God has made us greater than that. God has made us for a greater purpose. And again, he's not advocating not planning out your life. He's not advocating not working. He's against a wrongly focused life. That's what he's against here. Because seeking the kingdom of God is a mindset. It's not, it's not just, here's some things, God. Here, I'll give you a Tuesday. I'll give you a Wednesday. I'll give you a Sunday morning. I'll give you a Sunday night. But no, no, no. Seeking the kingdom of God is, God, here's my life. Here's what it is. And, and in doing that, listen, here's, here is the calmness you can have. When you work a job and you live your life, if you lose your work, for, if you lose a job, for example, maybe, and I experienced, and I'll talk about that in a second, but maybe you're, you're being the witness you should be, or you're standing up against sin, or, or you, you won't join them at work in that area, and so it ostracizes you, and because of that, I'm not working on Sunday, it's Lord's Day, and because of that, they threaten you and say, well, if you don't work that day, I'm fine. Listen, you can live this way. If you did lose your job for standing up for Christ, you know what? He's going to take care of you. He's going to take care of you. Don't worry about that. Don't, don't sin because you're afraid for your own life. That's what he's saying. He's like, I'll take care of you. And, and I've experienced this. I was, uh, whenever we came here to candidate uh, back nine years ago in March and we visited the church, at that point in time, I was working at the bank. And I was progressing through the bank, and I, I was a teller at the time. That's how you get into the bank, usually. And I had been there a year, almost two years, and I had moved up to being a banker. I was going to start doing loans and all those things. And I was cross-trained, and, and when you get into that, uh, you know, the key to that is having a client base, having clientele and working through that and finding out their needs. 
And as I was doing that, I would be more engaged in conversations. What was, how was your weekend? What was going on to uncover needs? And as I'm sitting there, after I came back from the church that, from that weekend, I'm back at work, and I was talking to a person. He said, what did you do this weekend? I, I went and visited a church. Oh, why would you do that? Well, because I'm thinking about, you know, youth pastor, and, and I want to go into ministry. Well, as I said that, my, my manager overheard me saying that. And now, now, mind you, I, I, had, I had not been uh, a mean guy at the bank, but I had stopped a lot of their plans that they had. I hadn't contributed to a lot of different programs that were really anti-godly. They wanted me to give money to these programs that were about abortion or about all these things. I was like, I don't want to be a part of them. And it prevented them from having bank parties. And everybody in the branch went along with it but me. And if we don't have 100% participation, we don't get a bonus. And I didn't do it. And now I'm the bad guy because I just made 10 people mad at me. I'm the, you're, you Christian, you're the one messing all this up. And I, so I got, I, I kind of developed this reputation of being, you know, I ruined things. And I was like, I'm just, I, I respect you. I work for you. I work hard. But when I got to the bank the next day, the, the regional manager was there and my branch manager was there. And I got in, they called me back to the room and said, you're fired. So what did I do? Well, conflict of interest. You, 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 you are working here, but you're, you're, you're seeking other employment, and you're letting people know about it. And I got fired. And at that point, I was trying to finish my master's degree at school. I was in college still. We had had our son. Our first son was six months old. I'm living in an apartment. I have $600 a month rent or whatever it was. And I, and I have no job now. My wife stays at home. I have no income. And I would go look for other jobs. And I would go to like insurance agencies and, and they, we would get down to the interview. They liked my resume and I'd be sitting on the interview and they're like, um, what's your plans? And I was like, in two months, I'm going to go into ministry. Oh, yeah, yeah I'm not going to hire you. I could have lied to him, couldn't I have? I could have got a job. I could have manipulated my way into a job. I just told him the truth. I didn't want to leave a bad taste in his mouth. And I couldn't get a job. It didn't matter. I could not get a job. And you know what? What was I supposed to do? Well, South Noah had found out about this. Pastor found out about this. And it was a couple months in that he called and said, hey, we found out that you lost your job because of coming here. And so you know what? The church has voted to back pay you to the day that you came all the way till now. And not only that, but we're going to do a, a weekly salary directly deposited for you until you get here. Okay, you're not excited about that? I was. I'm sorry. You don't have to be excited about that. I'm sitting there. I have a newborn baby. I'm trying to finish college. I'm trying to go into the ministry, and yet now I've been taking my job. has been ripped out from underneath of me. I'm seeking the kingdom of God, and yet I'm being punished, right? I'm seeking the kingdom of God, and things are going downhill for me. What am I supposed to do? We'll just keep seeking the kingdom of God. And what happens? Well, he'll make sure you have what you need. What if I don't have it? Well, then you don't need it. Then, you know, it's really simple. Then you don't need it. Seeking the kingdom of God is recognizing that there's always a way in whatever you're doing, whatever you love to do, to seek the kingdom of God first. That's what it's about. I, I read this quote, and I'll, as I close down here, Walt uh, Hendrickson wrote in his discipleship book, Disciples are made, not born. And these are pretty strong words, so don't get mad at me. He said, if you're at college or whatever career you're in, for any other reason than to be a missionary for Jesus Christ, you are there for selfish, sinful reasons. That's what he said. Based on this passage. 
Because those we work with, we can't expect to, to cut God out of their developmental time and put him back in later when it's more convenient. He said, let's be honest, if it's not convenient now, it never will be. He said, what job doesn't have you around people who need to hear the truth? And, and what ambitions are so pressing that we, we can't meet with the body of Christ as we should? And what class doesn't require 30 minutes uh, all this work? Well, what, who doesn't do that? Everybody has to deal with this, don't they? Everybody has to deal with this. And we heard the excuses of one of the uh, students he was talking to. He says, I, I, don't have time to, I don't have time to do that. He said, whoever died from one hour or less of sleep? I don't have time to read my Bible. Well, then get up at an hour earlier. You know, you're not going to die from that. You, you, might, you might not know what you're reading. You're like, what is that? But you're not going to die from it. You're, you're going to take some coffee. You're not going to do something. This is, this is what I'm trying to get at. Listen, sometimes we have an incredibly high bar for serving God before we get involved in serving God. You know, and I've heard all kinds of things. Well, I need to feel called. I, I, there's a calling for sure for certain things. But listen, I have to feel called. I have to know this is exactly what God wants before I do that ministry. I'm just talking about getting involved in the local church. I'm not talking about going across the sea. Listen, I have to know. But we don't apply that same standard across the board, do we? And think about that. I don't know anyone who's ever said, before we binge watch that show on Friday night, we're going to pray about it. No one does that. I don't, I don't know if you do, but that's cool. You know, let me know. I will change my message. But listen, one person does that. Okay, listen, I, here's my point. We don't really put a, a second thought into devoting 10 hours to something we love or a hobby, or an interest, or a team, or something. We, we, don't really, we don't really put a lot of thought on that, but if it were to come to 10 hours of serving at the church just this week, you'd be like, I'm, there's no way. I'm just not going to do that. But aren't your, isn't your whole life supposed to be about the kingdom of God? Isn't that what your life supposed to be about? And so instead of using your liberation from worry and from the daily needs and the pressing demands of your daily needs, here's what God wants you to do. Instead, use your liberation from these things to pursue my kingdom. Amen. That's what you need to do with your free time. And when it comes to the church, obviously, if there's a need for serving, yeah, instead of dragging your feet about it and just not getting involved in anything, here's a good rule of thumb. Just say yes to it. Oh, I don't know. Listen, until your plate is full of seeking the kingdom of God, can you really get involved in a wrong thing in, our, in a local church? We need help. The church needs help. The church needs ministers. It, it needs these things. And it, if you find yourself beginning to worry, recognize what it is. It's a faith issue. And take that to God and pray about it. Because listen, if you're only praying about 30% of your life, that leaves you with 70% to worry about, doesn't it? No. Listen, God made you for a purpose. You go to him. Don't just share your burdens with God. Give them to him. And here's how he closes out in verse 34 then. Again, he says it again. Take therefore, no thought for the morrow. Uh, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. It's been said that there are, only, there are two days God won't help you with. Yesterday and tomorrow. They don't exist. That's already gone. That's not here yet. What am I supposed to focus on today? And it's important, I think, that he mentions this idea of the evil in the day because it is that way. We live in a sin-cursed world. 
And although God's care and provision for us are sure, they are, they are settled, that does not mean that there's not trouble. That does not mean there's not strife and conflict and issues and illnesses. That doesn't mean that. But we can rest as children of our Father knowing I will be here as long as He wants me to be here. You can know that. And because of that, I can throw my entire life into the kingdom. And if I put the proper amount of attention on the kingdom, then God will put the proper amount of attention on my life. Uh, How am I going to live that way? By faith. This is something that you live by faith, by trusting that he would do that. And I can tell you this, no more have I seen this more exaggerated than on deputation right now. I've been traveling for over a year without a house. And yet we've been able to buy a house and buy a car. And I haven't missed a meal. I've had too many meals. What, what is going on here? You know what's happening? God's providing. He, he does that. Because this, listen closely, this is an area that if you don't get this right, you will alter your life. And you will permanently change the quality of your life. Because the fact is this, your life is to be about the kingdom of God. And so find a way in all that you do to tie it back to the kingdom. Idle time and free time is very dangerous for the Christian. We need to be seeking the kingdom and seeking it first. So if you'd stand with me this morning as we go to the Lord, I'll invite Pastor up here to lead the invitation. Seek the kingdom of God.